All right, welcome to another Shire Health Chats, Locals Talking Health. We're coming to you here from Darawal Country on Kirawee Family Medical Practice. I'm Dr. Chris Timms. I'm here with Ashley Mitchell, paediatric dietitian in the area. Uh, just before we start, I'd like to acknowledge elders past, present and emerging. So welcome to the show, Ashley. Thank you. It's good, good to have you. <laughs> so tell us about yourself. I saw your flyers come out recently and I thought that's a really interesting topic. So we're really excited to have you here. Tell us about yourself and how you came to work in the area. Thank you. Um, so I am a paediatric dietitian, a business nourish paediatrics. Um, and I suppose I started out, you know, as everyone does at school, where they're interested in science or whatever they're interested in. And I found that um, science was where I wanted to be and ended up becoming a dietitian doing the degree. But in my final year of university, I was on placement in an adult hospital mm. um, and I did not like it. Scary places. <laughs> I know. I decided, I was thinking, what have I done? Um, so it just wasn't for me. So I was looking for other opportunities and a position came up at the Sydney Children's Hospital mm. for a new graduate paediatric dietitian. Mm. Um, so I was very lucky to get that as my first job out of uni um, and fell in love with paediatric dietetics. Um, and I've been lucky enough to stay in, in big paediatric hospitals. So Westmead Children's is where I've done most of my career. Um, so I've been there for over 10 years um, and got to see a lot of like wonderful um, cases and opportunities and seeing lots of babies and children and adolescents. Um, but then I had my own children. Yep. <laughs> and when I entered mum life, it, it turned out to be I was hearing a lot of mums stressed about feeding their kids and thinking, oh, could that be a nutritional deficiency? But, you know, biting my tongue and realised there was a real need in the community to have access to a paediatric dietitian. Um, so that's when I opened my own practice. Um, so it is based in Menai. So just resetting, we've got some ambulances outside and we're just going to jump back in with Ashley. So Ashley, keep telling us. Um, so you were talking about, you know, you were working in the hospital, you got into that mum life mode and sort of branched out to the community, I think, and exploring that space of all these things people need to know about having a kid and feeding a kid, which is a huge area. Yeah, yep. And um, yeah, so that's when I opened my, my own practice, Nourish Paediatrics in Menai. Mm -hmm. um, so we do telehealth as well, as well as having a face-to-face -face clinic. Mm -hmm. um, we also offer um, like mother's group chats oh, for nice. introduction to solids and common nutritional problems with children. Um, and trying to sort of prevent nutritional problems before they happen. Cool. We'll have to put you in touch with Dr. Mel Mapleson when she comes back. She loves that stuff. Um, okay, so you mentioned your clinic. Tell me more about what a morning looks like in your clinic. Like what sort of kiddos do you see? Yeah, so it is a large variety um, mm. in the clinic, but most days I will see some form of selective eating. Mm. Um, so that can range from being, you know, a a toddler that's exerting some independence around their meals and, and it's a really stressful time for parents when they're all of a sudden going from eating everything to, I don't want that, this is yuck. Yeah. Um, so we, we do help support that environment and de-stress meals. Uh, but then we also go to the complete, very, very, very selective. Um, so we may have a child with an underlying medical condition um, where they may have a food range of just say five foods. Um, and are sort of at risk of nutritional deficiencies there. Um, so we will sort of work with them to keep them safe um, and also within what they will accept. Um, 
yeah, but that's not the only thing. So <laughs> we see a large variety. So there'll be NDIS clients, some complicated clients in tube feeds, as well as a lot of general um, things. So like introducing solids for vegetarian um, families or celiac disease or allergies and just helping kids to grow well and get all the nutrition that they need. I think a key thing that I am noticing in the community is that often kids do grow well, so they're not necessarily um, like picked up or on the radar as having an eating problem, but then the parent will say, oh, but they don't eat this whole food group. Mm. Um, and it turns out that they're iron deficient or something like that. So there's certainly a lot of strategies we can put in place to help them to, to develop to be they, the best they can be with their nutrition as well. And I must admit, it's a topic I, I haven't appreciated as much until we started getting ready for our baby that's coming. Um, like I didn't, you know, there's all these little nuanced things people may not know, like kids shouldn't have honey under a certain age. Mm. It's really nice having someone I can refer to who can sit down and really sort that stuff out with them. Um, what do you make for your own lunch? Very important question. <laughs> I think dietitians often get a bad rap as being the food police. <laughs> so I can assure you um, I do like to eat a good, satisfying okay. lunch. Um, so my go-to is usually like some sort of um, meat, like meat, chicken or fish with some um, veggies and like a rice and bread usually. Okay. I love a good toasty too. <laughs> um, but I think it, it does come down to the balance. And something that I'm really passionate about in the clinic actually is, is having a positive relationship with food. I think that's really important. Yeah, and I think, you know, we see on social media all mm. these um, unattainable body image and mm. images that are portrayed to our children from a very young age. Um, so it's just something that we all need to be wary of. And I think even in the way food is taught at school, um, we need to focus on food as being just food. It's not sort of unhealthy or a bad food or a good food it's just food it's so important we really see the impact like you see not only the eating disorder spectrum or just general food pressure but you see the kids who want to be influencers or instagram influencers mm. and they're they're really struggling like they really are struggling with having a healthy relationship with food um Let's jump back to kids. We were talking about kids. How? Give us your brief summary of how to introduce solids to kids. <laughs> brief. Brief. Mm. brief. No, I could talk about this all day. No, um, I think, look, at the start of my career, there was definitely a lot of families that wanted to introduce solids in the conventional way. Mm. So your purees and minced and mashed textures and then finger foods and table foods. Mm -hmm. Um, but over probably the last four or five years, I've seen an emergence and had a lot more questions about baby led weaning. Mm. Um, so that's when there's sort of less of a focus on puree and spoon feeding and the baby is just presented with food that is in a safe way. Um, so usually thin strips and things like that, that they can pick up and try and feed themselves mm. from, from almost the beginning of solids. Um, so we certainly see a lot of both and, and can support both aspects of introducing solids. Um, probably the two key things would be to be offering iron-rich foods. Yep. Um, so bubs are born with really good iron stores from their mum, but around that six-month market tapers back. Um, so that's where getting it through food is really important. 
Um, so offering things like your iron fortified rice cereals or other iron fortified cereals, your meat and protein foods, um, so chicken, and as well as vegetarian sources like legumes, they can all help contribute to getting enough iron for Bob. Um, and another really interesting thing is there's actually things we can do to help reduce the risk of food allergy in the way that Ooh, we introduce solids. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, so there's a fabulous website called Nip It in the Bub. So like Nip It in the Bud, yeah. Um, so basically it's explaining that there is evidence that if we do all of the key allergens before the age of one, then there's less risk that a child will be allergic to them. So what I mean by that, if we use something like peanut or egg, I see a lot of families that say, I haven't done that yet, I'm scared to do it. Um, so, which is understandable. There's Not been sure. a lot of things about that in the media, but really, if we give, say, a quarter of a teaspoon of peanut or uh, like peanut paste hmm. or crushed um, or egg, when a child is um, awake, alert and happy, then if you do that and do it regularly, once or twice a week, gradually building the quantity as the child gets older, then they are going to be at less risk of a peanut or egg allergy if it's done before their first birthday. Um, so it's not saying they're not going to react, but bearing in mind allergies are still rare. They're not, they're not happening all the time, but um, there are things we can do to help, help with preventing them. And that, that's well supported. Like I think the, uh, the LEAP trial on peanuts came out maybe two or oh, no, I was a resident, so that was six or seven years ago. It feels like a while ago. Um, but, yeah, that's well supported. Uh, I'm listening to Eat, Sleep, Play, Love at the moment, which is a, a parenting book, and they're talking about the fact that, you know, you want to be introducing these things orally rather than topically your first time, so, you know, you don't want kids getting certain moisturisers that have food allergens in them topically. Um, you want to be introducing it orally at the appropriate time under supervised care. Yeah. Um, you mentioned iron deficiency, and that actually really leads nicely into the next question, which is talking about milk and uh, introducing milk and milk substitutes. Uh, it feels like to me, as someone who is probably less experienced in this field, that there's a new milk substitute every day. There's oat milk, there's soy milk. Uh, they're going to bring pea milk onto the market very soon, which apparently is not too bad, but we'll <laughs> wait and see. Tell me about milk substitutes. What's your role there? Yeah, so I think um, I do see children that may have a cow's milk protein allergy. Um, and so we, or, or um, just by choice, families might not want to include dairy foods in the diet. Um, so dairy foods are foods like your milk, yogurt and cheese. And if we're excluding them, it can be challenging to meet calcium needs for strong bones. Yeah. Um, so we do look for milk alternatives. And you're right, there's a plethora of them on the market. Um, there's nut-based milks as well and coconut and rice. Um, so the key thing that I would look out for is if it's fortified with calcium. Mm. So that's checking the label and seeing that it's got 120 milligrams per 100 mils okay. of milk. That's how you know it's fortified. Um, so for young children, typically we look for, well, soy is my go-to, to yep. be honest. No, that's what the um, evidence is. Because... It's got a similar nutritional profile, so a similar amount of protein and energy to your dairy milk, um, which is really important for, for growth as well. Um, so although there are other milk alternatives out there and they're fine for older kids, it's just really making sure there's enough calcium. Um, if we're looking at other dairy foods like yogurt or cheese, 
there's less fortified options out there. So I do see a lot of families that think, oh, they're having coconut yogurt or they're having one of the vegan cheeses so they're getting enough dairy for their bones mm. or calcium for their bones. Uh, but quite often when you check the label, they're not fortified products. So it's just being really mindful of that. And I think this is an area where, you know, there's a lot of people with their own opinions. We really like to create a judgment-free zone here at Kirawi. And I think one of the things I really liked about your website was it was a sort of judgment-free zone. It was about arming parents with the information giving them the information so they can do the best thing for their bubba within whatever restrictions they have. Um, and I mean, that applies to us in general. Now we'll, we try to create a judgment-free zone, but it is a, an area where if you go online, everyone will give you their opinion about what milk to introduce, when to stop breastfeeding, when to do breast milk. And there are some guidelines we can recommend. The NHMRC has some good guidelines on this, but regardless, judgment-free zone, we know parenting is hard. We know people get, feel judged often yeah. with these things. And that's one of the things I really liked about your website. Um, you. Is there anything else you wanted to vamp on or talk about? Is there anything you wanted to throw out there for the community? Look, I think writing off what you've just said, most of my practice is really just looking at the individual child, mm -hmm. finding a lot about their family and their routine and trying to work out what strategies we can implement, yes, to optimise nutrition, but also so that everyone feels that it's something that's easy to do and a happy environment and, and be supported. And that's sort of the goal, really. Yeah. And if we could go back to milk substitutes just for a second, mm. just remind me, what age do you reckon we should look at introducing cow's milk if it was appropriate? Like what age? Yeah, so as a drink, mm. we say to wait until the first birthday. So breast milk or a formula would be the main source of milk nutrition yeah, of up until one. Um, but in terms of introducing milk in solids, you can add it to a cereal or something like that and small amounts here and there as any time in the solids journey. Um, if you say had express breast milk or something, then that's going to be have more micronutrients and variety mm. in it. But there's no harm in, in doing small amounts of cow's milk um, in your child's cereal or something like that. The only reason it's um, not recommended as a drink is because the large quantities that a child would have, it's, it's a lot higher in protein and sodium for their tiny little bodies. Yep. Um, but your small amount here and there is fine. And I think World Health Organization guidelines recommend breastfeeding where possible up to about six months as sole nutrients, but that doesn't fit for everyone. Um, and we're always happy to find a solution if someone doesn't fit with that model. Yeah, so I like to think about it as this is a feeding relationship between yeah. mum and bub from the get-go. Yeah. So it works both ways. Mum and bub both need to be happy and supported yeah. in that relationship. And for some people, that doesn't include breastfeeding, and yeah. that's okay. No, that's okay. It's totally fine. And it's just sort of, I do see a lot of mums that find that really challenging, and yeah. so we can certainly provide support and advice to get through that. All right. Well, you are busy. I believe you'll be teaching our registrars more of this good information shortly. So I'll let you carry on. And thank you very much for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. If people want to find you, where can they find you and get in touch with you? Yeah. So I um, am www.nourishpediatrics.com.au. It's a tongue twister and it's hard to spell, I know. Um, so you can also find me on socials and we can tag in with this video. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks.